0: Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Thai fans. So I said, Reggie, yo man, I need some help, man. My girl, she won't sleep in bed. How the hell did you get your kids to sleep, man? So, oh man, it was easy. (laughs) Have you given her warm? Yeah, everybody
1: with rum. that and more but before that hey folks our philly show our big philly show is on march 2nd it's at world cafe live at 8 30 p.m and i'm so excited about these stories that we're prepping for this show i mean they are hilarious super suspenseful intimate, surprising, all the words. (laughs) It's a great mix of folks and a great mix of life experiences. And Philly is a city that has given us some of our best risk stories of all time. I'm so looking forward to being back in that theater at World Cafe Live and just the excitement of that live theater feeling there. So, if you have any friends near Philly, if you're in Philly, spread the word, everyone. Come on out March 2nd. Tickets for Risk Live shows are always at risk-show.com slash tour. We'll be right back.
2: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
3: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill.
1: Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Teddy Wilson behind me now. And just before that, we heard a cover of the Risk theme song by Nervous Neil Smith. We would so love for more musicians to take a crack at covering the Risk theme. You can do it in the style of any era, any part of the world, any musician, over at risk-show.com slash music, you'll find all you need to know. And if you want to ask any questions, you can write to john at showcom Now, it's super sweet that Taj Easton chose this Teddy Wilson tune to start us out today, as Teddy Wilson was a favorite of my dad's. And we're calling this week's episode parents are people. You know, when I was like seven years old, my parents allowed me to walk to the local library by myself for for the first time. It was a few blocks away. And that day, that first day I went in there, I was so excited to discover a record album called Free to Be You and Me. It was a children's record made in like 1972, all star cast of actors and singers, but it celebrated the idea that you can feel free to be who you want to be. That you shouldn't let, you know, stereotypes or societal pressure box you into a box. (laughs) And that record meant the world to me back then. It's still a wonderful record for kids today. And so that's where we got the title of today's episode. Parents are People is the title of one of the songs from that record. Now, hey, folks, if you haven't heard it yet, check out the Patreon check-in that anyone can hear for free, even if you're not a member patreon.com slash risk. It's called Kevin talks about new possibilities for the podcast and the risk community. And we would love to hear people's feedback about it. Now in a little bit, we're going to hear from Vicki Uditz, a remarkable story that she shared in January at our live show in LA. But before that, We're going to hear from Ty Fans, who you can find at tyfans.com. Also, a story shared at a recent LA show. I mean, these stories show you just how awesome the LA show has been lately. And this story by Ty Fans, it's one of those stories where the storyteller kind of dares to admit to struggling over maybe being the bad guy in the narrative for a bit. So, yeah. This episode definitely deals with some of the challenges of parenthood. And here is Ty now with a story we call Sleepless Night.
0: I am of the mindset that some stories should be told no matter what. (laughs) It's an early, early, early morning, Wednesday, a work day, and I am 34 years old, married to a beautiful, brilliant, and very patient wife. We're lying in bed looking up at the ceiling, and we're both exhausted emotionally and physically. Yeah, no. It's not what you're thinking. And the the fact is, we are spent emotionally and physically because we are at our wits' end. Because at the time, we had a three-year-old daughter who was brilliant, beautiful, and painfully timid. And she was down the hall in her bedroom, crying and had been crying most of the evening and into the morning. You see, for eight days, we have been trying to get her to sleep in her own bed. <laughs> we, <laughs> no. I have been trying to get her to sleep in her own bed. And I was trying different things, man. I, I tried to let her sleep in our bed and then carefully pick her up carry her down the hall to her bed, gently put her in and pulled the sheets over and pulled up the Winnie the Pooh blanket, you know, and and then tried to tiptoe out without kicking one of those noisy-ass tars she had, (laughs) them damn squeaky ones and that freaking crazy monkey with the (laughs) cymbals. Man. And then I would close the door silently behind me, right? Go down the hall, get back in bed, and would just lie there, and I'd gently fall asleep, and then about 15 minutes later, awakened by this disembodied, tearful voice coming from her bedroom, and it would just break my heart. So I would go down the hallway, pick her up again, bring her into the bedroom, put her in the bed, let her fall asleep, and then gently lift her up, and repeat over and over again till daybreak, until I had to get up and go to work. When I was a kid, you couldn't do that. No. I actually tried to cry myself into my parents' bed once. And uh, my father, who was a strong, silent type who smoked pow Mall cigarettes, always had one pursed in the corner of his mouth, who rolled his sleeves up just past his elbows so that the might of his forearms were on full display. <laughs> who, when mad, could generate enough dark energy that would penetrate my bedroom wall, my body, and reach right down to my soul. From the comfort of his bedroom, he shouted, boy, if you don't shut up all that goddamn noise, I'm gonna come in there and give you something to cry for. Well, he only had to say that once.
1: because,
0: Because when he got mad, man, that scared the hell out of me. But I didn't want that from my daughter. I didn't want her to be afraid of me. So I just kept trying different things, man. I would read her bedtime stories, Good Night Moon, Green Eggs and Ham. And her favorite was, Are You My Mother? And I would diligently read these stories, right? But she would stay up and I would fall asleep. And then, Oh, there's another one, I, uh, I don't know if you tried this. You, I took her for a ride around the, the neighborhood in the car, right? She'd fall asleep, but I don't know, man, every time I'd open the door to get her out, boom, she'd just wake up. So I was really not doing well. And I thought to myself, God damn, who do I know who's figured this out? Who do I know that has got the ability to put that kid to bed and sleep all night long? And I thought, bam, Reggie. See, now Reggie was my college friend. Reggie had an eight-inch afro. Uh, he was slender and he had a whole wardrobe of multiple variety colored dashikis. <laughs> and the fact that he had four kids did not be lost on me because every time I saw him, he was well rested and relaxed. So I said, Reggie, yo, man, I need some help, man. My girl, she won't sleep in bed. How the hell did you get your kids to sleep? Man, he said, oh, man, it was easy. <laughs> Shoot, man, I just read them stories. Man, I did that. Oh, uh, what I d- used to drive them around. I did that. Well, have you given her warm? Im- yeah, everybody with rum. <laughs> I said, man, I can't do that. That's ridiculous. That that would be irresponsible. That that actually is pretty damn brilliant. <laughs> so. That night, I took one of her little uh, juice cups, right? The one with the top on it, and it's got the little spout. And uh, I filled it halfway with warm milk. And just when I was about to put that shot of Bacardi in there, (laughs) my wife walked in. (laughs) And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. What are you doing? Nothing. I know you're not putting rum. In our child's milk. (laughs) Why would I do some stupid shit like that? No, this is for me. I was uh, thinking that maybe I'd make myself a warm white Russian. Yeah, that's it. So I put the the shot in, stirred it up, put that top on. (laughs) It was actually very good. (laughs) So I sucked it all down without spilling a drop. But I was still undone. So that night, I had uh, I pretty much tried everything that I knew. I had one more thing up my sleeve. So I was saying, you know, it's time, it's time for tough love. So I figured this is the night that I'm going to let her cry herself to sleep. So I put her to bed and crawled in bed. And I'm staring up at the ceiling. And she's crying. It started around 10 o'clock. And it went all the way to 2 a.m. And that's when I set up. And I took a deep breath and said, Girl, if you don't quit all that noise in there and stuff, I'm gonna come in there and give you something to cry about. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> For about 15 seconds, <laughs> 10 more crying. And um, I snapped, y'all, from the lack of sleep. 12 hour days and just really feel like I really wasn't up to it, I just lost it. I bolted out of bed, walked down that dark hallway with my pajamas and my white T-shirt and I forced her door open really, really hard, which startled her. The room was dark, except for a sliver of light coming through the mini blinds from the lamppost outside. And I stood there in that door just thinking that my mere presence would be enough and the dark energy I was radiating from my body <laughs> would be enough to silence her, but it wasn't. And i lost it, yo, i lost it. Before I knew it, I'd reached down with both my hands and grabbed her by her, her arms with way more force than I should ever have done. And I tried to will her quiet. She cried harder and then I yelled. Shut up! Stop crying! She didn't. And it really, really frustrated me. So I let go. I turned around and I walked out of the door and I slammed it behind me, leaving her alone in the dark, scared. So I get back to my bed and I just pulled the sheets over my face. And now it's, Three o'clock, 3.30, four o'clock, still crying. And I was, I was at a loss. I felt defeated, hopeless, and in a little bit of despair. It weighed on me like three wet bags of cement. And I finally just crawled out of bed, went down that dark hallway, opened the door, this time slowly, and she was sitting on a bed with her knees up in her chest and her arms wrapped around her shins, rocking, afraid of the dark. And now, afraid of me. I gently reached down and put my hand on her knee and she stopped. And then I sat down next to her on her bed and then I just grabbed her and I put her in my lap. And as I did that, she reached up and hugged me around my neck and rest her head on my shoulder And uh, I wrapped my arms around her. And as I did that, I became aware of her breathing. It was rapid. And I just held her in silence. And it was at that moment that exhaustion had just engulfed me. And I slipped into this semi-conscious moment where everything, the visuals and the audio from what happened that morning began to replay in my mind. And I, I watched it and I listened, but It was from my daughter's perspective. And I saw me, her father, yelling at her to tell her to shut up. Me, her father, reaching out with more force than I should have. Then turning around and leaving her in the dark, alone and scared. And that shook me. It shook me out of my nightmare and awake. And my heart was beating fast. And I thought, that is not what I want her to think. I don't want her to think that a loving relationship looks like this, that a loving relationship feels like this. And I, I, I thought, what can I do, man? What can I do to, to make her feel better and empower her and, 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 and just to do better in this moment? And I, I took her and I stood her up in front of me and I looked into her brown, teary eyes. And I said, I'm so sorry, I am so sorry. And we, your mom and I need your help to go to sleep. Will you sleep in our bed tonight? She nodded slowly, yes. And I said, great. And that's when I picked her up and I sat her on my shoulders. (laughs) And she took her little hands and put them on her forehead for support. And as we walked down that dark hallway, it was illuminated by the big smile on her face. Mm Parents are people. Parents
3: are people. When parents parents were little They used to to be kids Like all of you But then then they grew And now parents are grown-ups Parents are grown-ups Grown-ups with children Grown-ups with children Busy with children And and things that that they do do. There are a lot of things A lot of mommies And a lot of daddies And And a lot of parents can do
4: Visit hello slash sale. That's hello t-e-n-d dot slash sale. And book your free consult today. Just before Christmas, mid-90s, my husband and I drove to a Marie Calendar's off the 91 freeway. Do you know that Marie Callender's? Um, it's, it's, it's a couple hours from where we lived in, in Burbank. We were in our late 30s, and we were going to meet up with a couple in their 20s. I recognized them right away from the photos that they had sent. The woman was petite, she had a round face, a mane of thick, dark hair, she was very Christmassy. she was wearing a red sweater, and the husband was tall and seemed kind of quiet and shy. I will call them Megan and Mel. So Megan said, hey, it's great to meet you guys, let's sit down and order. We did, I believe I ordered coffee and banana cream pie. It was weird. I mean, we were going to be chatting about taking my eggs and my husband's sperm, creating embryos in the proverbial test tube, and shooting them into Megan's uterus while we ate pie. (laughs) I'd had a couple of miscarriages, and the last test had revealed I was born with only half a uterus. And my fertility doctor had said, Oh my gosh, I did my thesis on the malformed uterus. She was so excited. (laughs) I didn't share her excitement. And she said, well, it would be very unlikely I could ever carry a child. So she wrote something on a little post-it note. It was a phone number for the Center for Surrogate Parenting. So my husband and I talked it over, and we called up. And um, the counselor said, well, first thing we would need to do is take some photos of ourselves, and then we would need to write a letter to present ourselves to potential surrogates, because a surrogate chooses you, not the other way around. So in this letter, we were supposed to say something about our jobs, our hobbies, and then we were supposed to explain why we wanted to be parents, what we felt we had to offer, and why we wanted our own genetic child. How many people ever have to write a letter like that? We were writers. We were artists, entertainers. We were funny (laughs) and trying to impress the surrogate. And and then uh, we said that we had just always envisioned having a child that would reflect what we loved about one another. So we were there at Marie Callender's to see if Megan and Mel would want to work with us. So uh, Megan started telling us that she had been a surrogate before and uh, she could tell us all about the procedures and what to expect. And she said that we were gonna go to all the appointments together and she was ready to start right away. And she thought she could be pregnant by February 1st. I said, gosh, well, you never know. I just, I don't know. And um, my, my husband said, now my wife is the pessimist. I'm the optimist. I know, right? And then uh, he, he said to, to Mel, you know, what's your take on this? And Mel said that he had been very uncomfortable with surrogacy at first. But when they had stood in the delivery room and handed the couple their child, he knew what it meant to them. I had thought of surrogacy as a job. Okay, unusual, exciting. But still a job that I would pay somebody to do. And uh, that was fine with me. I, I didn't want to get too involved. I trust no one. I have very few close friends. But I no, that's true. But I, I thought I thought I, I was seeing, I was beginning to realize that, that if these people chose us, okay, that um we all four were going to go on the journey together. I mean this woman could possibly, you know, completely change our lives. She could maybe give us uh, the only child that, that we would ever have, and you know, uh we could probably never thank her enough. We finished our pie, and um, it was very good. And then um, we went home, and uh, the next day, the Center for Surrogate Parenting called, and Megan and Mel had chosen us. And so we started going to all the appointments, and we did the egg retrievals, and we did the embryo transfer, and Megan got pregnant and miscarried. And she was devastated because that had never happened to her. And we all went with her. Mel, my husband and I, we all went with her to the hospital for the DNC. And I said, you know what? They're just going to put you to sleep. And when you wake up, it'll it will all be over. that That's how it was for me. It's going to be okay. And it was okay. And we began again. And we did all the appointments. And uh, we did the, the egg retrievals and the embryo transfer. And she got pregnant again. And we were at 25 weeks. And at this point, we were no longer going to my fertility doctor in Santa Monica. We were going to Megan's doctor in Temecula. So we had just been to our appointment and uh, we went for lunch, and Megan said, Hey, have you set up a nursery? I said, No. She said, Have you been shopping for the baby? I, I said, No. She said, Have you guys thought about names? I said, I just don't think that I could do those things till after the baby's born. And she looked at me very strangely. So the next day, the Center for Surrogate Parenting called, and the counselor said, Megan is concerned about your negative attitude. And I said, I just, I, I, I'm just so afraid something's going to go wrong. And the counselor said, you have to understand that the surrogates come into this program with pictures in their minds of sharing with you in your joy, setting up the nursery, shopping for the baby, handing you your child. I said, okay, but I, I just don't think that I could have a nursery and no baby. And she said, you need to think about what Megan is doing for you. All right. So I cleared out my office and I bought a crib, a changing table, a rocking chair and a stuffed duck. I bought bulb syringes and thermometers and a bottle of the syrup of Ipecac for accidental poisoning. I bought a stroller, I attempted to put it together, and I kept Megan informed of all of my purchases so she could share it in my joy. But one day I sat down in the rocking chair holding the duck and I realized I was expecting a child to be born. It was going to be okay. My husband and I named our baby after his grandmother and my favorite aunt. In her 34th week, Megan developed toxemia, also known as preeclampsia. Nobody knows what causes it. It's identified by its symptoms. Her face, her hands swelled. Her blood pressure was sky high. She was so nauseous she could barely eat. She was on complete bed rest except for her appointments with the doctor in Temecula and also another doctor, Dr. Dr. Baird, for ultrasounds. There's only one cure for toxemia. That is to give birth. And so we were taking things day to day to give the baby a little more time. So we had been to the ultrasound that day. I saw my baby kick. I was tired, and so I decided I'd get a hotel room instead of making that long drive home. Got a bite, I went to my room first thing in the morning. Mel called and he told me he and Megan were at the hospital. She was in unbelievable pain. And that Temecula doctor, he was out of town for Easter vacation. So they were waiting for the doctor on call to come in, a uh, Dr. Chang. I said, oh, okay, uh, all right, um, I will be right over. And so I got dressed and I called my husband. I let him know what was going on. And I drove over to that hospital. It looked like an abandoned office building. It was in this failed industrial park overrun with weeds and there was nobody around, I guess because it was Easter vacation. Mel had to come out and show me to the room and Megan was in agony and nurses would come and go and none had authority to give her any sort of painkiller and Mel said, oh, I had just missed that Dr. Chang. He had come in and he said he didn't know what was going on, what was causing the pain, but he was going to send in a couple of specialists and he would be back later and make the diagnosis and we waited for hours. And finally, this guy came in, said he was a surgeon. He did an ultrasound. He said, oh, Megan, here's what's causing the pain. You've got gallstones. I'm going to have to take out your gallbladder. Oh, that's tricky on a pregnant woman. I've never done it before. But I'm going to do it today for the first time. And Megan said, can you give me something for the pain? He said, morphine. He went out. A nurse came in. The morphine drip started. Megan had turned pale. Her husband looked like he was going to faint and we waited again. This hematologist came in. He said, oh, you know, Megan, your platelets are so low. I think that could be from toxemia, but actually, more likely, you have a rare blood disorder. I'm going to administer prednisone. I don't know if that's going to help. Megan and Mel are in each other's arms sobbing. I went out to the nurse's station, and I called my husband, and I said, I do not know what is going on here. This woman has never had anything wrong with her in her life, and now they're with their signal, which is toxemia and gallstones and a rare blood disorder. I said, my husband said, okay, all right, look, why don't you call the Center for Surrogate Parenting? Maybe they have some advice. I'm getting in the car. I'm on my way. I called up, and the, and the counselor said, hmm, I'm hearing you don't trust these doctors?
3: <laughs>
4: no. And she said, why don't you call Dr. Baird? The doctor Megan was seeing for ultrasounds. He is associated with Loma Linda University Medical Center. It's a terrific hospital. Why don't you see if he can come in and see Megan today? She gave me the number. I called up. Dr. Baird was not in because it was Easter vacation. So I left a message for him explaining what was going on. I begged him to call me back. And I went back into the room, and Megan was so out of it from the morphine, and Mel looked like a zombie. About the time my husband arrived, Dr. Chang finally returned. Now we would get the diagnosis. He said, go home. It's gas. Mel said, what about the gallstones? What about the blood disorder? I think it's just gas. Why don't you go home? Take my lantern. People never take enough. At that moment, a nurse poked her head in the room, and she said, Dr. Chang, there's a Dr. Baird on the line for you. Chang looked confused, but he said, okay. He went out, he took the call, he came back, he said, okay, you're going to Loma Linda. Yes! <laughs> we were going to get out of that ridiculous hospital, away from those people pretending to be doctors. They got Megan into an ambulance and Mel and my husband and I, we drove in our separate cars, the three of us, 60 miles north to Loma Linda. It was like night and day. As soon as I got there, they already had Megan in a hospital bed. And this amazing doctor, Dr. Mary Page, this woman had just returned from doing missionary work in India. Yes! She was incredible. I trusted her. And so she did the tests and she asked Megan questions. She listened to the answers. Very quickly, she had her diagnosis. She said, I think everything that's going on It's from the toxemia. We know how to cure that. We could do an emergency C-section, have the baby out in 15 minutes. But we do want to give the child a chance to mature. I'd like to see the lungs mature. And we will be monitoring the toxemia to make sure it doesn't advance to the point where there's a danger of seizure or organ function is affected. Of course, should that happen, we will immediately do the emergency C-section. And she went out. And this guy came in, a nurse practitioner, and he said, I just want you to know that an emergency C section at 34 weeks could mean a severe cerebral bleed for the baby. It could mean brain damage. I went out into the hall, and my husband followed me, and he said, With any pregnancy, there are risks. There were risks all along the way. We need to be there for Megan now. And I went back in, I held her hand, I said it was going to be okay. And then the southern nurse, Carmen, she saw that Mel and my husband and I were exhausted. And so she, she showed Mel to a room with a, a bed. He could get some rest. And she showed my husband to me to another little room, a couple of beds. And I lay down on one of those little beds and I tried to rest. And it seemed only moments later, somebody was pounding on the door and they said that Megan's kidneys had stopped functioning and they were going to do the emergency C-section in 10 minutes. And I said to my husband, this is our fault. If anything happens to Megan, we're responsible." he said, it's nobody's fault. It happened. We went back out into the hall. Megan was in a gurney. She looked terrified. And she said, I want the baby out. So they took her into the operating room. And Mal and my husband and I stood in the hallway. I don't think the men said a whole lot. I was babbling. I was just saying how great that hospital was and how much I just loved that doctor. How terrific it was we got there in time. And then we heard a cry, a baby calling out. And a door opened along that hallway. And there was that nurse practitioner, and he said, the baby looks perfect. Megan came through the procedure well, and I think in a couple of days we're going to see the toxemia abating. He motioned for us to go in. The three of us washed up. Megan was out cold on a table. But there, in a glass dish, like you used to bake lasagna, (laughs) was my baby. Dark curly hair and bright blue eyes. In a week or so, Megan was released. She made a full recovery. Our baby was in intensive care, three weeks, gaining strength. We took our baby home, and I sat in the rocking chair, and I said, I am going to tell you the miraculous story of your birth. I'm going to tell you about the women you are named for. We have been waiting for you, and now you are home.
1: is risk this is the intruders behind me now you know years ago when a very dear friend of mine was grieving the loss of his own mother you know several months later he created a mixtape of just songs about mothers that it was just one of my favorite mixes for the longest time And this song. That's how I got to know this song for the first time. I still love it. We just heard from Vicky Uditz, and you can find her on Twitter, at Vicky Uditz. I'll spell that. It's (laughs) V-I-C-K-I-J-U-D-I-T-Z. And like I was saying, this is yet another episode that shows how great the LA show is lately. The next one of those is March 29th. You know, we heard a little bit of Free to Be You and Me in there, that um, parents are people's song. And most of the elements of today's episode were edited by our own Taj Easton. We'll be right back. Folks, there is a crazy amount of new content of all kinds over at patreon.com risk. The latest is a remarkable story by Diana Medina about an amazing moment when her family pitched in to help her through a rough patch. And what's so special about this recording is that we have Diana telling the story to two of her siblings. We love doing experiments like this.
3: We are taught in our culture and in our family that marriage is sacred. And when you choose the person you choose, then you deal with what this person is and you work through the things together. And so that's what I was doing. But he got to the point where he didn't want to step up for me anymore and instead said, I want to end this. In telling us that in that moment, I remember thinking it was like we were listening to a different person being described.
1: So become a member at patreon.com slash risk to hear all that and more, knowing that you'll be helping to keep risk running. We really need it and we really appreciate it. Now, next week, next week on risk, a whole lot of unidentified flying objects (laughs) on an episode we're calling Close Encounters. But... That is next week. And today is the day. <laughs> Folks, <laughs> take a risk. Hey, Bill. What?
0: Do hey, you remember when we used to gang walk,
1: baby? <laughs> man, was we crazy? <laughs> yeah, man. we that about the other fellas, little sunny. Drink it, they drinking that wine in the schoolyard days. Yeah. <laughs> we had to take you home, man. You were <laughs> out of <on>
0: me, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man,
1: it's day. a day Hey, but listen, yeah. Remember uh, when we used to run around there? Steal a hubcap off the car. What you know? talking about? Batteries? We lucky we ain't get busted, man. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> then I say, here comes the fuzz. <laughs> hey, bird, what corner would you coming to That The tenderloin. Oh, man. Oh, man. But dig this here. Yeah. Now see, when all that gang warm was going on, I'll tell you one thing i never forget. It was, that, see, when I got home, first thing I would hear is, what? Phil, yeah. where you been, boy? That's it, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's, that's mom, hey. I said, I was out with Sonny Bird and Lil' Sonny.
0: Put it all on us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I had to put it on somebody. I, I, hey, Phil, what's your mama say? She said, "Boy, now I'ma tell you, you know you getting big now.
3: Yeah,
0: you gotta watch the things that you doing out in that street. Right, and you go to jail. Right, and I'ma tell you something, man. Mama wasn't wrong. No, but what about Pop? We ain't talking about Pop. No man, Pop was
1: Pop was was hanging out. You know, (laughs) I think Pop was making more and We used to. (laughs) I know my pop did. Yeah. My pop hung right on with you, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Stay out all night. Come on. Clothes all wrinkled, up. Lent balls all on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sonny. <laughs> <laughs> How about when your mom to cooked them good home cooked bits? baby. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is a flying saucer.
3: It's not every day you get to
2: see a real flying saucer.
4: There ain't no difference between
2: a flying saucer and a tiny ship